Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. Hey, Ann Friedman. What's up this week? Our guest today is the incredible Yasi Salek, who is the host of Bandsplain. Bandsplain is a Spotify show that walks listeners through an artist's catalog featuring full-length songs throughout. And I'll be honest that I started listening to this show because it is executive produced by one Gina Delvac, our esteemed producer. But I stuck around because I love Yasi's whole vibe so much. And I also really loved the way that this show focused my attention on one artist. I think like a lot of people, I've really gotten into the habit of playlist listening or like algorithmic listening. And this show has reoriented me a little bit toward like diving back into an artist's full catalog. Um, my gateway drug was the critic Ann Powers talking about Kate Bush for three hours. Like, let me tell you, treat yourself to that. But Yasi and I talk about a lot of stuff on this episode. Bands, obviously, but also what it means to listen really deeply to an artist, the whole concept of splaining in a music context, music criticism, and how our fandom styles are shaped by our teen years. Yasi, welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. Oh my God, thank you for having me. I want to start by asking you about this this portmanteau term, bandsplain. Like, what is bandsplaining? I think, you know, I think obviously it has its uh, roots in the uh, famed term mansplain. Originally, we wanted to like call the show something like XYZ for dummies, but um, that's heavily copyrighted. So, <laughs> so we were trying to communicate kind of like the same like vibe, and like it was only you know much like everything else, ev- things just happen by the invisible hand of God. Um, where I was like, oh yeah, it is often uh, men explaining <laughs> music to other people. So yeah. We're splaining to the fans, but also um, the gist is I'm being splained too. Yeah, I think it's so. One reason I wanted to talk to you is because I I find myself often trying to figure out how much you know, because you are a very knowledgeable person when it comes to many of these bands that you're discussing, many of these artists, and how much of it is like a helpful device to get your also very knowledgeable guests to talk about their knowledge. And um, and then I really went down a feminist spiral of like, oh my God, all the times that I have um, professionally kind of suppress the knowledge I have of something because it's like mm. better to get someone else to explain it. And then it's way, way darker in a personal context, of course. But sure. um, <laughs> you sort of said like, okay, people come on the show to explain to you. But like, how do you walk that line of like, yeah, sometimes you are an expert? Well, this is a gorgeous question because I didn't have therapy this week because my therapist canceled. <laughs> so I'm going to sort of use this to uh, get into something which is that um, I actually um, like to not know things because I grew up um, 
being rewarded for having the right answer all the time. And it made me like sort of like um, mentally unwell in the sense that I felt that I always had to have the right answer or else I had no value. And I feel very like empowered and freed by saying, yeah, I don't know. Sorry. Can you explain it to me? Um, But to answer your question more specifically, uh, you know, I know some, I have my own, you know, I love bands. I've done research on my own pre this show because that's what fans do. You read stuff and you watch stuff. But I also, I prep pretty heavily for every show. So um, now I end up having at the very least more factual information often than my guests, but that's not knowing, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, so maybe, maybe a better way to ask that is um, about your personal history with music and fandom or like what, what was your point of entry to knowing a lot about a band? What was the first band or artist that you were like, I really know a lot about this person? I grew, I was born in 1982. So like in 1991, when Blood Sugar Sex Magic and Nirvana Nevermind came out, I was like primed to lose my mind to hard rock music because I had never heard it before. And I was like, what is this? It's amazing. <laughs> Specifically around um, Give It Away Now by Red Hot Chili Peppers. I really loved that song. But Nirvana kind of became my favorite first band. You know, you're 11 years old and you're like, maybe like about to have your period and everyone <laughs> is the fucking worst and you hate your parents and like you're so angry and you don't know where to put it and that band like I just never experienced like a place to put my rage and so I was really obsessed with Nirvana and you know obviously you remember they were also like a huge massive band like culturally like MTV they were everywhere and I went to a used bookstore with my dad and there was a book there uh, Route 666 on the Road to Nirvana by Gina Arnold. And I thought it was just like a book about Nirvana. So I obviously bought it. And it ended up being this like just gorgeous first person book, you know, essentially about fandom in some ways, but also just about these various roads of different artists and scenes that led up to Nirvana and led up to allowing Nirvana to become as big as it did. And so I would just like save up my allowance money and go every week and buy whatever was mentioned in this book. The replacements, Fugazi, the weirdos, like there was just so much black flag, like stuff I had never, I was 11. (laughs) So like, you know, and this woman changed my life. Like, all of my favorite music came from this book. And I don't, I mean, I guess I would have eventually come to it, but like to have it as my own little secret thing, you know, in my bedroom at that age and feeling like I was like part of this secret world that also didn't exist anymore was like really special to me. God, I love that so much because it captures so much of the pre-social media serendipity that I think was required to like start a music fandom journey I mean I am also a 1982 baby so how I found the first things I loved was like it felt similarly um rooted in luck like I would like oh I like just happened to read the liner notes on this like one album and I liked the name of the band so I bought that and that opened the door to like 10 other things and 
Do you remember like going to the just the record store and seeing a cool cover and being like, yeah, I'm going to gamble $13 on that because the cover is so cool. I gambled so much babysitting money. Like all I did was gamble on music that I had never heard before. It's it's wild to think about it now. And um, not to make this into like old lady power hour, which is another show I would 100 percent subscribe to. But um, but, you know, like it's. It is interesting to think about, like, like, do you think that that shaped your fandom? Like, the way you hear and approach music? Yeah, definitely. Because, like, I, I keep seeing this, like, meme go around that's, like, I think it's about depression, can't say. But it's, like, tag yourself and there's, like, all these things in it. And one of them is listens to same song on repeat. <laughs> and I'm, like, well... Like when I had $13 that week to go buy an album, I was going to listen to that album on repeat for days and days and days because that's the new album I had. And it was like some so immersive and like, yeah, listen, you don't have to apologize. Bands playing as old man yelling at the cloud hours <laughs> all the time. Um, I think that's I'm sad that that's not the way fandom exists anymore, because I think that there's something so special about living and occupying the world of an album because of the constraints that we don't have anymore. God, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I just thinking about um, how one thing I like about your show in particular is that it makes me listen a little bit more like I used to listen when I was a teenager, which is to say, big chunks of the same artist or like, you know, maybe all the way through an album. Is that something that you were still doing before this show came into existence or like has working on the show brought that back for you? No, I was definitely still doing it. I've, I'm not, I'm not like a big playlist person. <gasps> like Spotify affiliated podcaster is not a playlist person. <laughs> <laughs> Gina, you're enough. Um, <laughs> No, but I listen, I like playlists. I just recently made a five hour long one because somebody asked me to do it for some playlist uh, every Sunday. It's called Herb Sundays. Um, and I like them. I uh, Let me let me take it back. Gina, take your earmuffs off. Um, it's like a mood thing, right? Like I like I like to have randomness in my listening if I'm not engaged, if that makes sense. Like if I'm just like, doing something that I don't want to have to pay attention I prefer like just random songs come on but like more than no I'm I'm now I'm lying to make Spotify happy I just really I like to consume albums as piece as works because there's like a journey that you get I sound so fucking lame (laughs) Um, but there is it's like you know you get you go on this journey and people really artists sat and thought about like what's the first song what's the second song there's a story being told there's like an emotional ups and downs that like you go through listening to these albums and like I really love that what is what's like the last newish album that you had that experience with oh no um, I really like the last Manic and Pussy album. It's called Perfect, I think. I love that band. And I think um, their albums are really well thought out and sort of like to be taken as um, a work. 
um, the Turnstile album, which I know everyone loves. I, I did really enjoy listening to it. I, I found it just like really textured and interesting. Like it was a super like whiplashy journey. And this is kind of old, but oh, Taylor Swift's Evermore. I really liked it. I, I don't think that's old, like in the grand scheme. Like I feel like the, the albums right. that I'm doing multi-listens of are like, they stick around for a lot longer now than in the past because I'm just like, I don't know. I'm hitting, I'm hitting the age of life where statistically, there is some statistic about this, where people listen to less new music. I think, am I making this up? Have you heard something like this? Like, you know, mid thirties and later is like when. I haven't heard it, but I definitely stopped at like 30. Right. right. <laughs> I was like, I don't need anything else. Thank you so much. I have the entire catalog of the nineties behind me and I'm good. Or like I'm motivated to go backward and listen to artists that informed the artists I connected with in my like teens and twenties. But like, I think I really have to amp myself up to be a full album listener to newer stuff. Yeah. I mean like someone like a Taylor Swift, obviously like will capture my attention because I am a big fan and I, I, will give it the time, you know, because I think I I know the payoff has happened so many other times, <laughs> if that makes sense. But it's a little bit, it is a little harder for me to like get it up to listen to like, also I'm like so spiritually Gen X that when like the entire internet is like, this is awesome. I'm like, is it though? I don't believe it. <laughs> and yet Taylor Swift. And She's yet so, Taylor Swift. I know. I'm full of contradictions. Oh, 100%. I'm a complicated woman. Tell me about your relationship with Taylor Swift. <laughs> I love Taylor Swift. I love her music. I think she's just so talented. Um, I pretty much love every album. I, I just, I mean, she's not like, let me say this delicately. She's not like a Rihanna to me in the sense that like, <laughs> I will. That was delicate. <laughs> yeah, I will consume anything Rihanna does aesthetically products you know what I mean like I'll read 28 pages of interviews if she ever does them I don't have quite the same relationship with Taylor Swift as like a persona or person but her music has just always hit the mark for me I think she, I just think she's incredibly talented and I I like that's a really good pop music mm. I want to go back and talk about like 11 year old to teen Yasi. So were you someone who was then splaining Nirvana to the people in your life? Were you like, did you find yourself in that role? Um, I don't know. What people? No people. You had no, <laughs> <laughs> to, to your dad who drove you to the record store and that was it. <laughs> but yeah, my dad, my immigrant father from Iran, who was like, I literally cannot believe that this is what you're interested in. Um, <laughs> my friend Fiorella's cousin was older and he was a punk, like a straight up like subhumans patches on the leather jacket, mohawk punk. And so are his friends. And they, I would talk to them about music. They were in like high school and they would give me tapes and stuff. Um, but I, I don't really remember talking to anyone like in school or my age. I, had a, I have a cousin who's 10 years older than me and her and I were very tight, Seema, and her boyfriend at the time, this guy Matt was very cool and he would like make me Pixies tapes and like we, she took me to Lollapalooza, you know, like, <laughs> so I had like, I guess like I just was hanging or talking to like older people about music and I don't know why. I don't know what was going on with my other, my fellow 11 year olds. I didn't have a lot of friends also for <laughs> being totally honest. 
Do you have memories of being splained too? Yeah, by like ev- by like every boyfriend I ever sure. had. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm sure some of them didn't. Um, I don't want to, for the bit, <laughs> Im- implicate them all. Um, not to later, not to like college. I feel like college was like mm. prime. Well, let me tell you how it is, babe. You know, fully, fully. Yeah, I mean, not at age eleven or whatever, but. Yeah, when I I don't know, I I guess like that is something that I think about a lot when I listen to your show is like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can receive this in this format. Whereas like, you know, other other people in my life, like, let's be real, men, um, especially (laughs) men who I knew when I was younger, might have been imparting similar knowledge about like, you know, where a band came from, or like, what albums were important or departures or things like that. And I was just, um, it wasn't, I don't know. I was like angry about it even then. Like, I, I don't want to hear about this from you. You're you like, know? shut up. <laughs> kind of. I mean, okay. I, I want to ask you, because I'm always so curious, you know, what the listener's experience is. Back to the Gina Arnold book, and I told her this. That book also taught me that like, you could engage with music without being a critic, mm-hmm. which I didn't know about music criticism. Again, 11 years old. But like, you know, this book was about experiential. And and that's that's how I approach Bandsplain too, because I don't really have to, any interest in being a music critic. I am not qualified, nor do I care to do it. But I feel like the facts are cool, but I really like talking to someone about, why something's awesome. Mm. <laughs> and I also like to like speculate about the psychology of the band or the artist because I think that's like a raw shock of like your own psychology. And that's why it's so fun to do, you know, like it's like, what do you see in the song? And why do you think they wrote it this way when it's like, what's going on with you? And that happens a lot with me with doing this show where I'm like, man, I'm going through something. And right now I'm imprinting that onto the loving heads or whatever (laughs) so I don't know the question I guess is like is that something that comes through in the show that it's like less about these sort of like factual things about a band and more about like a a joy and celebration of this artist yeah I mean I think that comes through my I, I mean I'm certainly not like like listening for what is the best album you know what I mean (laughs) or like what is what is a critically what is the what does this critic tell me about what I need to know I mean it's if for me it's definitely more about like filling in gaps in in maybe what I've paid attention to in the past which when I think about all criticism I like across you know artistic media across genre whatever I feel like that's what I like is like oh hey maybe direct your attention this way a little bit and it will it will hit different you know totally yeah I think there's like so many critics that do that so well um Jessica Hopper obviously and the queen and powers and I really like John Caramonica's criticism um he doesn't we don't have similar taste in music but I think he has such an interesting lens on stuff um so yeah, I agree with you. That's that's what the best criticism does. Yeah, I mean the the Ann Powers episode on Kate Bush is it's it's funny actually. This is the answer to your question about how I hear the show. Where <laughs> I texted, um, I texted a friend of mine who is an artist and a musician, and um, you know someone who I know like me is very into Kate Bush, and was like, you need to listen to multiple hours of 
you know the the god and powers talking about the god and but or and bush the god the god kate bush <laughs> and and she was like mm, i don't really do critics and i and i and i was like this doesn't it's not criticism in the sense of like a ranking of albums even though obviously Anne does say what she does and doesn't like but I think you know I was just like I got lots of new info on Kate Bush and I know you want info on Kate Bush and it's that's how I pitched it and she was like I fucking loved it so (laughs) yeah I mean to your friend I'm like I hear you babe people are a little tired (laughs) of like criticism in certain ways especially with the pitchforkification of music you know I get it why people are just like I don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) What's your thought about canonical artists or like, you know, the idea that there are, you know, if if you call yourself a fan of X genre, you should at least engage with this set of people. What do you think about the idea of a canon in general? Like, should everyone just have a personal canon? Is there any point at all to some kind of universal? Like, these are the artists that mattered. Oh, no. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I think that there's a reason that artists become canon and it's not like a mandatory thing to engage with them. But I do think it's like, you know, a lot of potential for discovery of things that people might love lays within that. Really the impetus to do this show was like, that kind of artist. Cause I think it's like, if you make it far enough in your life and you're like, okay, I know two Led Zeppelin songs. I'm never going to know more than two, Led, you know, but it's like, maybe secretly you want to kind of like get into it, but it's just too overwhelming. I feel like right. that's kind of what this show is hopefully for is to be like, okay, don't worry. We'll walk you through it. And like, here's an access point, you know? Cause I think that's the problem with a lot of these like artists of the canon, you're just like, I don't even know where to fucking start. You know, <laughs> like it's too big. It's too big for me to like engage or deal with. And so I'm not going to. And I, and I feel like that this is just like, we started this to give people like a little inroad to be like, Hey, maybe you'll like it. If not, go ahead, turn it off. Right. And what are your criteria? Like, how is an artist worthy of your attention on the show? That's a good, that's a good way of putting it. Cause we get a lot of like, <laughs> get a lot of like comments and mail. It's like, what are the rules? Okay. This artist is not a cult artist. And you said, then how do you? And I was like, <laughs> well, first of all, babe, this is not the DMV. There are no rules. Like, what do you, what do you wish for it to be? It's not the government. It's my, per, my podcast that I make for fun. So the rules are that I decide. Not to stereotype, but are these emails from men? Often, yes. Mm, (laughs) In fairness, our listener base is primarily men. Mm -hmm. So that's going to happen if the emails. I love you. Reply, guys, if you're listening. Um, (laughs) Often there's bands I just want to do selfishly because I love them. There's bands that I want to do because I don't get it. There's people I want to talk to. And so I ask them what band or artist they want to talk about and that that gets us to a place so it's pretty all over the place again hand of god is leading the way Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean not a hand of god though like you and your producers hand hands of gods you know the holy spirit is working through me and producer dylan (laughs) (laughs) there is like a magic quality to host producer relationships that um i don't want to force you to define but i 
I do, again, kind of experiencing your show, maybe the way some people experience ours, where I'm like, I love it when you talk about producer Dylan. I'm like, yes, tell me more about this behind the scenes magic. Producer Dylan is just like truly constantly eye rolling me. Um, but then she's also my cheerleader that like chimes in with our, our shorthand is GP for good point. And then if I do really good, it's an EP, excellent point. Um, <laughs> and then she's also the one that goes, Yasi, don't say that <laughs> like 12 to 15 times per episode. Um, and a large part of her job is just calming my neuroses. Oh, God, the writer editor relationship, the producer host relationship, like so much neuroses calming. Um, she's a Virgo. So she's like, I think, uniquely equipped to deal with it. And and what is your sign? I'm a Taurus, but I have an Aries moon, which, um, you know, drives my mental illness. <laughs> well, I, I ask like I know anything about astrology. I don't. I've what just lived you, in Los Anne? Angeles for long enough. I'm a Capricorn. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, and then I have my other two important ones, moon and rising are Leo and Cancer, but I always forget which is which. Interesting. <laughs> I feel so, I could see your, your moon being Leo. Do you feel I like... Think- compelled compelled to toward the spotlight no i mean i i feel i feel like my idea i feel compelled to put my ideas in the spotlight Mm -hmm. but like me as a person no are you so different from your ideas oh my god yes (laughs) (laughs) these are important now this is my therapy session these are important (laughs) distinctions um i want to ask about having a mostly male listener base i don't really i i'm I'm trying not to make every question about like men and splaining and like what it's like for you to host this show as a woman or to like occupy this space as a woman who is an authority. Sure. But I, I really am so interested in all of that. I like to picture like faceless hordes of men listening to you as the conduit for the splaining. Like that just brings me some pleasure. Yeah, totally. I can't, I don't want to speak for my reply guys because listen guys, I would not do that to you, but allow me to speculate much like I do about the artists. I sometimes think that like, that's what does it for them, you know, or they're like, Oh, we don't often hear a woman with vocal fry who says babe and totally every like three to five minutes um, talk at length about music, especially the music that they cherish and Mm -hmm. hold so near and dear to their hearts. And, you know, I think they get off on it. Not sexually. I don't know. Maybe sexually. Um, Again, I don't want to speak for them, but you know, I think it's, it's different and for whatever reason they enjoy it. (laughs) For whatever reason. (laughs) Tell me about like, your what what do you what's your creative life outside of of hosting bandsplain i don't have a life outside hosting <laughs> i don't believe that for one moment um no i'm i'm quite serious i'm very busy but um, it takes a long time to read all the books and watch all the documentaries and take all the notes i still write from time to time i like to make jewelry i make some um, scented hand soaps <laughs> what yeah <laughs> that's like six hobbies i, I know I, I wish i had i don't do them all the time um i'm learning to play guitar which i started um also in the pandemic because i don't think it's too late for me to start a band and so once i can play a couple of songs it is over for you hoes um <laughs> yeah i guess that's i cook a lot that's creative mm. soups 
Okay, as someone who has consumed many, many music documentaries at this point, do you have a favorite? That's sort of like separate from maybe loving the artist, but like this is just a, a, a great thing to sit and watch. I mean, off top, some kind of monster, the Metallica yeah. documentary is is truly art <laughs> it is it's honestly wild how good it is like for me having zero interest in metallica how rapt i was at that documentary yeah it's because they're it's insane it's insane that they allowed this to see the light of day it's insane that they they allowed the cameras to like capture them doing what they were doing which is essentially group therapy um just the whole thing is so bare and naked it's like a level of access that you do not get to people that are that famous like you know documentaries about famous people are just like two hour long ads usually like there's mm -hmm. there's like oh here's the part where they cry Oh, okay. Now everything's okay. <laughs> you know, like there's just no, you never feel really engaged by it. But here you just felt like you were like, oh God, I'm seeing something I'm not supposed to be seeing. <laughs> Very entertaining. I, yeah. And also I'm like, maybe I, I realize we kind of skipped over the what is the what and you, you said they go to therapy, but like for people who are not familiar oh, with some kind of monster, maybe you could give like a little synopsis of what it is and why it's so great sure some kind of monster is a documentary about metallica during the making of their album saint anger um during which i think they kind of intended it to be this like great you know we're gonna make a doc about our band it's gonna be awesome but just like during the making of the doc everything falls apart they fire their basis or they had just before so they don't have a basis um the lead singer a month in goes to rehab abruptly for alcoholism. They clearly don't like each other and they're fighting the entire time. They bring a performance enhancement coach named Phil Towell in, who is like essentially a, psych a psychiatrist. And he Sorry does for laughing at your name, Phil Towell. His name is Phil Towell. That's right. Oh, the producer's name is Bob Rock. Bob what? Rock. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, it's incredible. The the guy sits there and has them write out their feelings as lyrics, which yielded uh, lyrics on the album, such as "I'm madly in anger with you" and uh, <laughs> "My lifestyle determines my death style." It's a gorgeous piece of cinema, and you should watch it. <laughs> oh. I <laughs> I really um. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I but it's also like three hours long. It's also so long. It's worth it though. Lars's worth dad it. comes in and he's just this like Danish man with like a huge beard who's just like emotionless and like they play him a song and he's like, What do you think, Dad? And he's like, I think you should delete this. Song. <laughs> <laughs> it's just incredible. Every moment, twists and turns. I love it. How <laughs> is it, I, I'm just thinking about like one thing that fascinated me so much about that documentary is it was like this way into masculine expressions of like feeling and vulnerability and tenderness that um, I I think are like still pretty rare and pretty scarce and particularly that kind of like I mean metal it's metallic yeah, metallic like, hyper <laughs> hyper masculine right yeah. um. And, uh, you know, I mean, many, many of the bands that you have delved into on the show are led by or like primarily men, not mm -hmm. saying your whole archive is all male bands, but like, let's be real about like a lot of no, influential, influential rock music. Um, do you have any kind of overarching theory about, um, 
you know, music and like ma- masculine expressions of feeling or vulnerability? I think that all music contains within it masculinity and femininity regardless of the gender of the person making it or delivering it. And Mm -hmm. I think that when music is really good, it has a really interesting balance of the two. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think when music is all the way one side or the other, it's less accessible um, in general. Got it. So (laughs) I'm just like, "Mm." I maybe what I'm really trying to ask is like, like for beings that identify as masculine, do you feel like you have a different understanding after delving into like, I don't know, like iconic, like there are like just iconic male artists and maybe I'm being really binary in terms of like who finds what, where. Not to be all like not all men, but like, I mean, they're all so different, you know, like Mm. they're all animated by different things. It's like you can't put Kurt Cobain next to Bono next to James Hatfield (laughs) and say that they have the same, you know, things that drive them. Like it's, I, I really think it's true that like all these people that, make music contain within them these like different balances of masculinity and femininity and they telegraph that through music. Mm. Where do you come down on questions of acknowledging artists' bad behavior or like things that do not maybe meet your or my or our now collective standards and and I think that there are a couple of episodes that deal with this really specifically but I'm curious about how you think of it writ large yeah I mean I think I mean for the show obviously like you just said like we will always we'll always bring it up we're never going to pretend it never happened because I don't think that serves anyone or anything or also like we're telling the cultural implications and story of a band you can't leave out something like that that is also part of their story I guess where I land is that like I am not the judge. (laughs) I want to take it in and I want to think about it. And obviously it's up to person to person. Like how much does this, how much can you accept or defend or not think about XYZ thing for XYZ artists? But I do think that's like a kind of a personal decision. For sure. I mean, I and I think, you know, that is largely how I feel about it too. But it also... It also feels a little contradictory in maybe not in terms of the cultural moment as we actually experience it, but in terms of the narrative, right? Like the narrative is like this is a moment where people are collectively in or they're collectively out. And I I don't think that's true. I actually think most people, like like you said, are sort of thinking like, okay, like for whatever reason – I don't listen to this artist past this album or I don't listen to this person at all. Or People should think about it though. Like I think completely ignoring it or not covering it doesn't serve anybody, right? Like I think we've hit this point where like it's the quickest thing and the most satisfying thing for people is to, okay, you're canceled, bye. I never want to hear from you again. You didn't exist actually. And I'm not sure that serves anyone. Like, I think that, like, if we're not engaging with bad behavior and trying to understand and also, like, having some grace for humans because we're all humans. And I just, I feel like it's, 
we'll 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 stay here you know we'll just stay here and we'll just keep mm-hmm. xing people out yeah um i'm trying to think of some good personal example or some good specific examples of where this comes up i mean i think about you and uh the great jessica hopper talking about Joni Mitchell's sure. catalog, like early versus later years. And um, for those who have not had the privilege of engaging with all those hours of bands playing, I mean, spoiler alert, latter day Joni Mitchell is like appearing in blackface and having some making some very questionable statements about like, you know, her own identity and who she who she feels aligned with. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's like one example I think of, of like, you know, I think about Jessica saying like her Joni fandom really kind of ends before all that begins. It really does matter to her. And then, you know, there are other people for whom they're like, you know, not my fave, but, but it's okay with me or whatever. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And, and, and like, and then, you know, like that, that's one example versus like, you know, artists who are um, accused, but maybe not convicted of like, abuse or things like that like you know what i mean there's such a big range of like infractions i guess that that um come into play yeah absolutely i you know i think it's i i just think bottom line it's really worth engaging with because i think putting it in a box and hoping it goes away and again just to be clear gina i know you're listening i don't (laughs) i don't not think i mean obviously people need to have consequences for their like bad and her harmful behavior absolutely but i think the consequence that is you don't exist anymore it's not beneficial to our society as a whole and i it really like actually worries me like about right. our humanity you know <laughs> maybe i'm just going to lean right into this a thing that I've heard you say frequently on the show is the feminism has left my body. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's correct. What is that feeling? What has inspired that feeling? Please unpack that for me. I mean, I'm largely joking, but am I? No, I <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, what kind of answer do you want? Do you want a joking answer? Do you want a serious answer? No, I want a serious answer because I actually think this relates to the question about like how we're able to engage in a complex way with stuff. I mean, I do feel like I have a viewing mode, which is sometimes like I'm just going to like put my feminism in a little box and tuck it under the bed so I can enjoy this movie that I loved when I was 20, you know, or whatever. But isn't your isn't your feminism that you are allowed to engage with the world on any level that you want, just like men are, <laughs> you know, like that's that's kind of what I mean when I say the feminism has left my body. And you forgot the second part, which is that I just want a husband and a lobotomy, which also stands <laughs> true. Um, <laughs> you know, like I think that's I think we've we've just like hit peak mass feminism overload in a sense that like you know, it's become, it's kind of like punk, right? (laughs) Like here's a, let me, I'm doing this on the fly. So like punk was about freedom, right? But then what happened was punk became about rules and punk became about, you're not punk enough. You're a sellout. You can't do this. You're not allowed to do this. And I think feminism was also like, this is about freedom. This is about equality and freedom. It's not really, to me, supposed to be about 
oh, you can't do that. That's not feminist. Like if I want to get a lobotomy and a husband and live on a farm and make soup, I can do that. You know, like, and if you want to watch, oh, I don't know, Rosemary's Baby, whatever. I don't know what you were referring mm-hmm. to, but like, or whatever got canceled, the Christmas movie that I love, Love Actually, which I believe has been canceled several times for I don't even remember what. I'm still going to watch it, babe. It's good. It's a good movie because I, I'm able to, you know, hold two thoughts in my brain at once. It really has to do, I think, for me with shutting off critique. Like now that I, now that I'm talking through it, like it has to do with like a, a more passive versus like a more active listening or viewing experience. And there are some things that I just enjoy more passively. I think maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I th- And I think we should. <laughs> we should. We should be able to enjoy <laughs> things passively. I guess like ultimately like I think I've, I've grown tired because feminism has been co-opted by capitalism and there's just no getting around that. And I don't want feminism to tell me how to be more productive or whatever sure. <laughs> or lean in. Sure. And, like, and I know that's not what it is. Okay. <laughs> but like, I think now it's become shorthand for that. And like, I hear it from like teens, you know, like, mm. and the teens, like teen boys are terrified of the word feminism because they think they're all going to get canceled. Tell me more. Tell me more about your like, like, uh, how are you interacting with teen boys? Teenagers are so far from my existence right now. I'm like, are they writing? Are they listeners to the show? Are they like your friends' kids? Like, yeah, I'm so they're, curious. Like my, they're like friends' kids and like cousins yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just, I find teenagers really fascinating because I feel like mm-hmm. you're so like you're, I don't know, I you're never more alive than you are when you're a teen. You know, like you're, you're like an open wound, but you're also like coming into your own but you're also an adult you know and like I felt like I was a full adult when I was like 13 or 14 years old and I didn't understand why people wouldn't take me seriously or talk to me but you know they also lack experience it's like such an interesting place to exist so I just like talking to them do you feel fundamentally like I mean I guess you just kind of said this but I'm gonna echo it back like fundamentally the same as you were when you were like a teenager oh totally I mean I think I think fundamentally, like spiritually, 100%. I think, (laughs) um, you know, I've overcome a lot of obstacles and things that hinder my pure essence as a person. Like, for example, wanting to always have the right answer or things that cause me anxiety or things that don't allow me to like be myself in the world. I mean, like this podcast, you know, like it took a lot to be like, okay, why don't you guys all listen to four hours of me literally being an idiot and sounding like to my ears (laughs) so dumb, but it's like, it's also, that's exactly who I am. And to just wholesale accept that and be like, okay, here you go, babe. If you like it, great. If you don't, okay, that's fine too. That's something I couldn't have done as a teen. (laughs) Right. And also like that is that is something I really pick up on as a listener, which is like, um, I, I don't know, I think sometimes you can hear it's like it's like why it's so easy to make fun of NPR voice. It's like you can hear someone putting on a cloak of like an idea sure. of authority. Sure. Um, and I find it so much more compelling to just be like, right, Yasi says babe a lot. Great. I'm here. I'm listening. You know, <laughs> like it doesn't feel um I don't know. I, I but I, I am interested in that question too because the question of of like being your teen self because I do think it really relates to 
um, and now we're really full circle, an experience of listening that is reflected in the work that you do. It feels so fundamentally teen to like really embrace fandom and really like dive in in a whole album way to what artists are doing. Yeah, I mean, I think I think when you're a teenager or when you're me who's a teenager and turning 40, you're just always looking to be seen and reflected back to yourself. And art does that, right? Like music does that. And so you really connect with it because you're like, oh my God, like my thoughts and feelings are being telegraphed back to me by this art. And I feel less alone. Mm. And teenagers, I think, you know, it's a really lonely time. <laughs> so, right. I love that. Okay, last question. Um, it's a deeply spiritual one. Okay. I would love to hear more about your framed drawing of Dave Matthews that you got on Depop. Oh my God, my framed drawing of David Matthews that I got on Depop. What, what a joy. So I ordered a David Matthews band t-shirt off of Depop because those teens do not know what they have their hands on. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and this, it was actually, it was actually a Gen X white man who sold it to me. Um, and in the package, he just of his own volition, bless his heart. What just a gorgeous moment. I opened the package and out flutters this drawing, like marker drawing of Dave Matthews, just as a little, little gift for me without nothing said, nothing, just a bonus. And I love it so much. Producer Dylan hates it. I have it framed. She bought me a frame for it. Um, and it does sit on my desk and sort of just like overlook what I do. I have to tell you that, um, I have a visceral memory from my preteen, like pre-sexual years of reading a Spin Magazine interview with Dave Matthews. I oh, I know exactly spin. the cover you're talking about. He's wearing like a gray t-shirt and blue jeans on it. Probably. But the question was like, if you could only have like food or sex for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Like you could, you, you have to like let go of one. Completely. He obviously said sex. Have you ever heard any of his songs? Oh, he said sex, obviously. But the, the second part of his answer was... Because I could just live on the juices and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, not ready for this as as like at the tender age I was like reading spin in my basement bedroom. And I was just like, simultaneously obsessed, disgusted. It's like all the it is so like close to all of my like early sexual feelings <laughs> that like that is maybe that's why I can never listen to Dave Matthews. Like it's really it hit something. I don't know. I don't know if it was like too close or too soon, but yeah, um, and you got to put on crash into me, babe, and just like <sighs> reconnect with that part of yourself. Cuz it's <laughs> he's a deeply he's a deeply uh, erotic man. His music is very erotic. My friend Dana did accompany me to see him perform in Milwaukee like two weeks ago, and she wins the Friendship Award because she does not particularly care for the Dave Matthews band. But I cried. Great. I love that for you. I'm Thank really, you. I'm I'm happy that it was that the first time slash only time you've seen Dave Matthews in person. Yes, and it <gasps> delivered like you would not believe. Also, he is still so hot. Back to your um, spin <laughs> magazine. <laughs> Just have I'm to blushing. Point out. He is still. I'm blushing. Just remembering a handsome, gorgeous man. <laughs> uh, um, 
Yasi, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. Okay, I'm going to go listen to Crash. <laughs> That's right. You can listen to Bandsplain on Spotify and we'll link it in the show notes. I will see you on the internet, my love. See you on the internet. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your faves. Subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. Call us back, leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. And you can buy our book, Big Friendship, anywhere you buy books, but we are really partial to independent bookstores. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. Our producer is Jordan Bailey. This podcast is executive produced by Gina Delvacke.